On Metacritic, a movie, television, music, and game review aggregation site, Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury lists 123 official reviews. Little Nightmare 2 has a cumulative 142 reviews from official reviewers across all platforms. On YouTube, if you look up either of these games, you'll also come across thousands of smaller independent reviews of the games. Video game reviews are one of the most volatile and divisive talking points when it comes to video games as an entertainment medium. You don't need to look further than 10 months ago to see how touchy gamers are about official review scores. Last week, we ourselves did a deep dive into an older game to review it and give our impressions. And yet, even with hundreds, thousands, or even millions of reviewers out there, each with their own opinions about any given game, none of it matters to you, unless you let it. Today, Reflections on Gaming wants to talk about how video games are discussed in general and how you, personally, need to decide on how to interact with these discussions. Getting too hooked into someone else's opinion about anything can, and likely will, cause you to stress. So let's talk about how you can turn discussions about video games from toxic to invigorating. We are Reflections on Gaming. I'm Jordan. And I'm Weston. If you've been with us for a little bit, you may notice a slight difference in the audio, which will be this way from uh, going forward. Uh, we invested in a new microphone, and hopefully you enjoy it. Um, but yeah, and if you have been with us for a while, thank you again. Now, before we get into talking about some specific examples of games and their reviews and kind of our opinions about I don't know, the the general view of those games and whether we agree or disagree and, and why, and kind of the bigger point about why we're doing that. Let's talk about game reviews and opinions of gamers in general. It's important to understand that other people's opinions are really just a giant aggregate of ideas based on their own personal being and, and life experiences. Who you are is a combination of your personality, your upbringing, your circumstances, your history, your relationships, everything having to do with your experiences from the time you were not born, but the point where you can, you know, you started to become who you are, the time you started to develop your personality until this very moment right now when you're listening to this podcast. Who you are will greatly determine how you view media of, uh, well, especially gaming. For example, somebody who's been to war and has PTSD might, uh, due to being in a combat zone for a good port for a good amount of time, might think that any game where you take up guns against enemies is a traumatizing experience only meant for the most hardened of players. They might have a very different outlook on Call of Duty or Battle. Uh, battlefield than somebody else who hasn't had those same experiences. Someone who's never allowed to play mature games, who was never allowed to play mature games growing up, might see violent video games as horrific and unfit for general consumption and pass that same type of ideal onto their children or their, um, uh, you know, ne nieces, nephews, whoever they're kind of interacting with on a regular basis. That same, um, 
That same person may also see violent video games as the only ones worth playing because they were forced to abstain from them for so long, and so they think that all those other games they were allowed to play growing up are kind of worthless. The most interesting thing about a person's personal opinion is that you can almost never deduce exactly what it will be based on your understanding of that person, because we never really know what a person has gone through. We never know a person's life circumstances or their opinions about every single little thing. Um, we might feel like we have a good understanding of who somebody is and what kind of things they might like or dislike, um, but we're not always going to be right, and most of the time we're not going to have a full picture of who somebody is. People with very similar experiences uh, in the world can react to the same stimuli in vastly different ways. It's just part of being human. Uh, our opinions about literally anything can even be um, antithetical to the opinions we hold about other similar media. These ideas, and so many more, are a major reason why you, as an individual, should not let other people make decisions for you. What do other people's opinions and them making your choices uh, for you have in common? If you use someone else's opinion alone to deter you or encourage you to purchase or even enjoy a game, then you have allowed that person to make a decision for you. This is a terrible idea and not only takes away your free agency, if you happen to believe in that, um... It also prevents you from forming your own opinions and enjoying the highs and the lows that video games and really media in general are capable of. Now, with that in mind, let's discuss a couple of video games that have reviewed either high or low that we personally disagree with and talk a little bit about the, this, this idea of not letting other people make decisions for you, and how we are glad that we made certain decisions contrary to what the general opinion is. Uh, Before we get into that, just really quick, we do want to make it clear, we're not saying you can't take people's opinions under consideration when you're, when you're looking at games to play. That's not what we're advocating. Um, you don't have to. That's fine if you don't want to. But if you're somebody who likes to look at reviews, that's okay. But hopefully as we discuss these things, we'll just get across the bigger point of just uh, don't let them make the decision for you. Don't let that be the only thing that you focus on when deciding whether to buy or rent a game. Because a lot of times, again, again people's opinions are informed by more than completely objective fact. They they have to be. Um, so it's not a good idea to use that as your sole basis for making decisions. Exactly. So let's start with something um, that perhaps you are familiar with if you've been following us, which is Rogue Galaxy. Uh, we played Rogue Galaxy on our Twitch stream uh, for several weeks, and then in our previous podcast, we discussed exactly how we felt about that game. Uh, and right now, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, yeah, this one's easy. I mean, we... As as Ron just said, we've already streamed it. We had a podcast about it last week that uh, if you haven't listened to it and you want to hear us go in depth about this game, um, go ahead and check it out. Um, we feel like it's one of our better podcasts to date and we think you'll enjoy it or hate it, depending on <laughs> depending on who you are. But 
um, this game is basically renowned uh, far and wide. You know, most reviews are quite high, and and even from the older generation when reviews were a little bit more strict, it still scored in the eights. And people just really love this game, and we hated it. The story sucked, the characters sucked, the music was eh, and the combat was just a uh, just so boring and and bad and frustrating. Like worst of all, it was it was so frustrating. Um, we allowed general consensus to kind of force us into playing the game because we knew that tons of people liked it and we felt like we should give it a shot and that people would enjoy watching it, but we did not enjoy playing it. I mean, this is essentially the perfect um, kind of uh, uh, example to show exactly why we want to talk about this because I bought this game on PlayStation 4 uh, and previously on PlayStation 2 strictly because people had told me it was really good. I didn't do any research into the story, into the mechanics or anything. I didn't look into anything about it. I just let other people tell me that I should play it. And I did what they said. And I ended up vehemently disliking the time that I spent with that game. Uh, and that those are hours and hours and hours of my life that I'm never going to get back. And it's kind of sad because I really did not enjoy playing the game Weston did not enjoy playing the game. And there was no bright spot at the end of like, oh, there was something at the end that made it all worth it. Or, you know, there was some silver lining to the game. No, it just, we hated the game. Everything about it was just bad in our opinion. And so that kind of led us to think like, why did we let other people get us to play this game? And this isn't, you know, we, we always ask for suggestions on what we should play with our Twitch streamers. Um, no, no one, no one responded. We made this decision because we wanted to play an RPG and we're like, hey, I heard this RPG is really good. Haven't played it yet. Let's try it out. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> anyway, if you want to get more in depth on exactly how we feel about that, check out our other podcast. Um, I think we have dwelt long enough on it. So let's talk about some other games and series uh, that we personally kind of uh, went away from the general consensus. Sure. Um, you know, another one is the Darksiders franchise. Um, I haven't played these a lot, but the little bit that I have played, I've played a little bit of Darksiders 1, and I've played a little bit of the co-op Darksiders Genesis, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Darksiders Genesis. And... I thoroughly enjoyed my time with them, um, but I I don't have as much uh, knowledge or experience with these. So, Jordan, what do you, what do you feel like you diverge on from popular reviews? So, the Darksiders franchise is interesting because uh, the discussions surrounding it are a bit dichotomous. Um, it generally all the games reviewed relatively well uh, in the eights uh, and an upper eight territory. But the thing that most people discuss when talking about the series is how derivative the games are and how it feels like they're they are kind of taking inspiration from, quote unquote, better games. Um, A great example of this is the original Darksiders was described as just ripping off Zelda 
with its dungeon design and God of War with its combat. And it said that it didn't actually do either of them quite as well as Zelda and God of War. Uh, Darksiders 2 got this line that I pulled from IGN. They said, it also it it is also possibly the most derivative game ever made, borrowing adventure and puzzle elements from The Legend of Zelda, action from God of War, platforming from Prince of Persia, and tone from some hellfire version of Lord of the Rings. The most derivative game ever made. That's a that's quite the claim right there. Yes, and, and they all received similar amounts of kind of derision of these are just bare bones clones of other games. Darksiders 3 uh, was compared directly with Dark Souls, which, to be fair, uh, any game that was slightly difficult at the time was. But this did have a direct call out rather than just being called the Dark Souls of insert stupid uh, simile here. Um, so all of the games up until Genesis have been considered, uh, highly derivative. And first of all, I think that's stupid because, uh, going all the way back to when Doom came out and people started creating first person shooters, they weren't called first person shooters. They were called Doom clones because people are dumb. People think that if you use a genre or certain design elements that you are necessarily just ripping something off. And that's not true. There's so many wonderful games that we would not have had uh, were it not for people taking inspiration from previous games. One great example, and well, perhaps you won't think this is a great example, but I, I think it's a great example, is Zelda Breath of the Wild. Zelda Breath of the Wild, none of the ideas in that game are new. Every single mechanic that that game has is something that came about in a previous Zelda game or some other game in a different franchise. Uh, the idea of picking up enemy weapons, first time you saw that was in Wind Waker. The idea of upgrading your equipment and items and whatnot, Skyward Sword. Um, the idea of uh, having your items, your, your special items like bombs and whatnot be recharging rather than uh, requiring specific item pickups, that was in A Link Between Worlds, right? So there's nothing wrong with taking ideas from other games. I think I think this war warrants its own podcast to do a really deep dive on, but I do want to just put in from a different perspective, there's a reason so many famous composers, one of the things that they do when they're um, composing is making variations on one of their famous themes. It's because it works and it's a good way to induce further creativity. There's nothing wrong with that. Just because, he, just because you're using the same tune with different chords doesn't mean you're ripping off music. You're making it into something new and you're making it your own. The same thing applies to any type of art and to video games uh, is included in that. So. Right. Now, I don't want to say that it's not impossible to rip um, a game off. It is. Uh, but that, to me, is not what Darksiders is doing. Um, now, the point of me kind of, of drawing this out, talking about Darksiders, is because, specifically because of, of this derivative nature of the games, or so-called derivative nature, I did not play any of the games for a very long time. I didn't play them until the third game got announced. And I saw some of the trailers for it, and I'm like, you know, that's a really cool-looking design. 
Uh, and I know that everyone says that these games are just, you know, poor clones of better games, but I'm going to give them a shot because it just seems like it looks cool. And I really enjoyed all of the Darksiders games. There is something in those games that is not available anywhere else. The specific kind of story, uh, the art direction especially, is absolutely fantastic. This world that they have created with angels and demons and these four horsemen of the apocalypse, the voice acting, just I feel that there is something very special about these games. And for a long time, I let general opinion deter me from starting this franchise and it because of that it took me a really long time to get into them uh but now that i have it's one of my favorite franchises and i'm so glad that after vigil games uh got shut down they broke off and and managed to hold on to the ip uh and have created more games in the series now the games aren't perfect there's flaws in them uh, a lot of them have um technical issues you know i think they, they're kind of what you call B-tier games. They're not independent, but they also don't quite have the production value of AAA. But it's it's such a wonderful franchise, and it's just too bad <laughs> that it's so easy to be dissuaded from, from trying them out. Yeah, I think... Um, I, I'm, I'm interested in playing the Darksiders franchise, but I haven't played them very much. Um, but I agree, I just think... Even just the general topics that you're talking about, I think it is ridiculous to take those types of reviews at face value, um, especially when they seem to not have been that accurate or, or that honest. Uh, moving on to, I'm going to include Red Dead Redemption and GTA V. They're slightly different games, and we don't very much like them for different reasons, um, but I don't have much experience with Red 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 Redemption. Red Dead Redemption. But I can say at least with GTA V and kind of that open world, um, do whatever you want, gangster-ish style game, um, the story, the characters, and the heavy emphasis on multiplayer are all, um, well, especially the heavy emphasis on multiplayer, are high points of reviews, and they are the things that I do not like about the games, and that's pretty much the <laughs> the whole game, that, like... People love those games, those open world, do whatever you want, you're kind of an outlaw, you get to do, you can mow down pedestrians, I guess, if you want to do that. Um, and I understand the appeal, and yet, in reality and in implementation, my time in these games has been extremely short and full of just like, uh, okay, well, I want to play something different pretty much immediately. Yeah. So... Grand Theft Auto V is interesting because it is considered by many people to be the greatest game ever ever made. Um, Sales-wise, it has it is it has made more money than any other single media source ever. That it's billions and billions of dollars have been dropped into this game, and when I play it, I'm like, eh, it's a uh, it's okay. I mean. There's nothing inherently wrong with it, but I don't like it. And it's like, how how could you possibly say that about the greatest game ever made? About a game that has made multiple billions of dollars. It has been uh, ported several times because why would Rockstar make a new game that could detract from the success of this that is literally raking them in 
billions of dollars a year. That doesn't make any sense. Um, and I just don't like it. I have spent several hours in that game, and I just can't get into it. Red Dead Redemption, um, the first one, is also similar. Red Dead Redemption is considered one of the best games ever uh, by Rockstar Studio. Uh, everyone's like, it's just so amazing. The story is so gripping. The gameplay is so immersive. And blah, 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 blah. Well, because of this, I decided to get into the game and start a playthrough. About five hours in, I was tired of the story, uh, and the gameplay was boring me. I mean, there was nothing wrong with it. It's just nothing about it was compelling me to continue. But I believed what the reviews said. Uh, and so I decided to keep going, and, and I'm like, maybe by the end of this, it'll be something that really hits me. Um, and it never did. I finished the game. And I realized that throughout my entirety of that playthrough, I never really enjoyed any of my time. The story, the gameplay, the characters, and everything in between, just it, it didn't have what I was looking for in a game. And that's not to say that Red Dead Redemption or Grand Theft Auto are bad games, or that you know, you're, you're dumb or whatever if you enjoy them. It's just going back to the thesis of what we're talking about. Other people's opinions aren't your opinion. And letting other people's opinions without any kind of other research just entice you to play something is a recipe for failure. It's not always going to be a failure, and that's why we keep doing it. But if all you're doing is trusting what the general populace is telling you, more often than not, you're going to find yourself thinking, I really don't know why I did this. <laughs> Let's uh, let's move to one of the more interesting ones that I think is on this list that we both have a little bit to, to say. Um, so far, we've talked about games that are uh, general, by the general public and general reviewers either praised or derided, and we kind of disagree. Um, but let's for a sec talk about The Last of Us Part 2, because I think that's one of the most interesting ones, because it's super dichotomous, and... It's not just from person to person, but it is like split in reviewers universally love this game, gave it super high reviews, um, you know, talked about a revolutionary story, great mechanics, amazing, amazing graphics, great music, all those kinds of things. And the general audience, uh, you know, gave it a zero on Metacritic to the point where it's its user score was just completely obliterated. And the general um, discussion about the game among gamers and not reviewers was quite negative. And yet, um, so so looking at that, it's kind of interesting because there you just have to, if, you've, if you're looking at people's opinions, how do you distinguish between, okay, reviewers are all saying this game is great and... A, a large, large vocal uh, subset of people on the internet are saying it's crap and the story is crap and nothing about it is worth playing. Who do I listen to? Now, I mean, with The Last of Us Part Two, this isn't that difficult of a question, but we both played it and, and loved the game. Like, was it perfect? No. Did it do everything completely perfectly like some reviews said it did? No. Was it a piece of garbage, unplayable, hot trash? Of course not. Not not at all. Um, 
And I think that's one of the more interesting of just like opinions really didn't matter for the last of us part two. Everyone was saying uh, wrong things about it and things that were true. And it was very just based on opinion. And a lot of the user reviews weren't based on objective ideas about the plot or the music or the gameplay. It was all centered around opinions. What I think is really interesting about The Last of Us Part Two is that this really feeds into the idea of letting other people make decisions for you. Because I uh, unfortunately went and looked on a lot of different forums and videos and whatnot to try to eke out kind of an idea of exactly who was saying this game was bad and why they were saying the game was bad. Uh, and I discovered that the majority of people commenting that the game was terrible also commented that they weren't even going to bother playing the game. They are literally allowing a small subsection of the population to make their decisions for them. And I, I thought that was weird. I'm like, how can you look at a game and be told things about it, not shown the game itself and, and walked through and, and seeing all these things, just told a person's opinion and be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's, uh, it's not even worth playing. And what's even worse is that some people who did play it went in with this um, primed expectation of disliking the game. And of course, because of that priming, they did not like it. Um, before, I, before I get too far out there, let me explain a little bit about this idea of priming, if you've never heard of it. Um, idea priming, or priming in general, is essentially preparing something for what is to come next. Uh, so if you are going to prime the barrel of a shotgun, you are going to clean and oil it so that the next time you fire shells out of it, they are able to go straighter and further. You have prepared that barrel for what you intend to use it for next. When people talk about priming people's opinions, essentially you are trying to color how someone will react to something before they have the, the ability to react on their own. So, for example, if you went and watched a movie and you loved it and you wanted other people to love it, you might prime them by saying, look, this movie is amazing. You need to pay attention to this, this, and this, and you'll love it. And because of that, that person may see those things and be like, they're right, that's so amazing, and they're right, this movie is so fantastic. Now, depending on how good you are at priming and how many people there are, sometimes the uh, effect uh, can be the opposite, where people... Uh, have been primed to expect the movie to be amazing. And they're like, I mean, it's all right. And because they were uh, expecting it to be amazing, they find it to be terrible. Uh, but with The Last of Us Part Two, because of just this outpouring of hatred towards the game, there are so many people primed to also dislike it. When you have been fed this idea that it is terrible and that the story doesn't make sense and that if you really scrutinize it, you too will recognize how poorly constructed it is, then you have been primed to expect it to be a bad game. And every time something comes up that you dislike, you're like, oh, that proves it. This is a bad game. Or every time something comes up in the story 
instead of reacting to it naturally, you react with, oh yeah, they're right. This is terrible. And it's just, it's unfortunate that people have been able to shift other people's opinions with relatively little effort. And I, I think that's wrong. Obviously, people enjoy having other people to commiserate with. If you love something, you love to talk about it with people that love it. If you hate something, you love to talk about it with people that hate it. It's a natural thing. And there's not even anything inherently wrong with that desire. But when you start pushing your opinion out there and you try to change other people's opinions to match your own, that can be dangerous. Uh, and I think that that is wrong. You can have your opinion and, and you can express it, but please don't try to make other people have your same opinion. Now, this is, of course, mostly in terms of media. Other things, uh, a bit too heavy. We don't want to get into that. Political views, uh, human rights issues, religion, that kind of stuff. It's, it's a little more gray area. Um, but in general, when it comes to things that really don't matter, such as the media you consume, please don't try to get people to love or hate things just because you do. Just be content with how you feel about those things and commiserate with the people that share your opinion. Yeah, I think that's really, you know, that's kind of the crux of this whole discussion is that there is a, while, while we're not saying you can't read other people's opinions or put your own opinions out there for other people to read about media, there is a danger that lies in that of skewing not only your view, but everybody's view of a certain piece of media and obscuring the objective value of that piece of media. Um, and sometimes it can work, uh, you know, kind of reverse psychology where something will get bad reviews that is expected to be good and people will like it even more because just to like spite the bad reviews. Um, I, and I'm saying that from personal experience, I felt that way many times while watching WandaVision. Um, and I can't think of any games uh, that I felt that with, but there's just this, there's this innate human nature to either want to disagree or, or complete, completely agree or completely disagree with things and look at things very black and white. And when you look at people's opinions and get your own opinion primed or put your opinion out there to prime other people's opinions, you're, you're possibly reducing the amount of enjoyment other people or yourself can get out of a piece of media, which is like, that's the whole point. That's the whole point of playing games. That's the whole point of watching movies and watching TV shows is to find enjoyment in them. And like, if you enjoy looking at the opinions of people online, that's, that's awesome. But when you're trying to force that opinion onto other people and trying to get people to agree or searching everywhere for opinions that you agree with, you're, you're, you have, you run the risk of possibly cheapening that experience. And instead of enjoying it for what it is, looking at it through a lens of what somebody else thinks it should be or, or a skewed view of what it is, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's most important to recognize that you can have discussions with people that disagree. You can put your opinion out there. Um, but if you're ever going to have an opinion about these things, please back it up with your personal evidence. 
Uh, for example, when we were talking about Rogue Galaxy and the things that we disliked, we didn't just say it was a terrible game and rant on it for an hour. We brought up specific examples that we experienced and explained why we didn't like it and why we felt it was one way or the other. But we never said, this is a terrible game that no one should ever like and you should go and downvote it and blah, 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 blah. We said, we hate it. We think it's terrible. Do you agree? Do you not agree? Tell us about it. Uh, and, and maybe you think that that's a cop-out, but I, I really think that it's important to encourage discussion about things. And that's kind of the difference between um, the right way of expressing your opinion uh, versus trying to prime people. Trying to prime people is not, this is my opinion, do you share it? It's, this is my opinion, and this is why you should share it. Uh, anyway, let's move on. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Final Fantasy XIII. Anyone in the RPG realm, anyone who's enjoyed Final Fantasy probably knows a bit about it. Uh, you may know that when it came out, it did not review well. Uh, it took me almost a decade to actually play Final Fantasy XIII. Everywhere I looked, everyone was saying that the game was boring, the story was convoluted and overly complicated, uh, and that you were railroaded throughout the entire game. But I always love Final Fantasy games. So when I got it in a bundle a few years ago, I decided I might as well try it out. The first foray I had into the game lasted two hours, three hours, something like that. I don't have an exact timing. And I felt like all those reviews were correct. I had been primed to expect these things and to think that they are bad. But I, I, didn't, I didn't want to dislike the game. It, it had high production values, and I felt like I should trust Square Enix because I have loved so many of their games. Now, you shouldn't necessarily have that mindset, but it worked out for me. So I picked it up again uh, a few years later, and this time I decided to ignore what people said and just see if I could enjoy the game based on who I am. And I did. The complex story, told mostly through Codex, really captured my attention. I liked all the details that it was giving me, even though it was not done in a conventional way. The difficult but intricate combat took a little bit to become for me to get accustomed to it. But once I did, I, I really enjoyed playing it. I felt like there was a lot of that strategic depth. It was a different kind of strategy, but it was there, just like in any other Final Fantasy game. Uh, the railroad-like levels were complex and intricate, and, and, they, and they didn't look or feel railroaded to me. It felt like a regular level in a video game that was enjoyable. Uh, and so because of all these things, I really have enjoyed my time with Final Fantasy XIII. I have yet to complete it uh, because other things have drawn my attention, and, and just it's hard for me to sit down with an RPG and finish it uh, sometimes, but... I intend to go back and finish it because I have enjoyed it and nothing about the time I spent with it makes me concur with the general populace opinion. And if I had not decided to kind of take their opinions and, and throw it out, excuse me, take their opinions and throw it out, I never would have given this game a second chance and I never would have enjoyed the game the way I have. Uh, and I think that's a shame. I, it, it's a shame 
that people can can be persuaded into not enjoying something when all it takes is a little bit of effort, uh, just a little bit benefit of the doubt, and you can find something that you really enjoy. And the same goes kind of for the Dot .hack series. Um, a lot of people view this game as very, well, this game series, as extremely repetitive, very shallow, really, um, you know, the the... The story is, like, too spread out among the anime, the games, the manga, and there's seven games in the main series, so there's a lot to kind of get through to, to play the whole series, and a lot of people don't see it as worth playing. Um, now, I've personally only played the first one, but from what I played, I, I really enjoyed it, and I had never, I mean, when I played the game, I was too young to really look for reviews. That wasn't something I did. You know, my people in my family would buy a game and I would play it because what else was I going to do? I was like eight. And I gave it a couple of shots over uh, the years and I had a really hard time playing RPGs when I was younger. I, I lost focus, but the dot hack always drew me back in. It was always something I had my eye on and something I was always interested in playing because from the short time I did play it, I really enjoyed the characters. I really enjoyed the atmosphere and the world building that they did. I really enjoyed the story. Um, it starts out and kind of captures you right away with a very interesting premise and and a couple of plot points that occur very early in the game. And yet a lot of people do look at these games as not really worth getting, and especially because they're so hard to find, which Jordan has a a lot of experience with how hard they are to find and expensive. So I've got them all now, so that doesn't that doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> yeah, I just and and just going back to your point of just letting opinions color your view of it. I'm glad that I didn't have that there because, you know, I'm sure I would have looked at that and yeah, gone into it looking for it. And it's true. A lot of things they say are true. There is a shallow combat mechanic. There's not much to it. But that doesn't mean there aren't going to be other things in that game that really appeal to you on a personal level. You don't have to love every part of a game for it to be worth playing. And just because the parts of a game that a reviewer is focusing on and saying are bad doesn't mean that the rest of the game that is good that they didn't focus on because they don't care about it as much won't be the exact same won't be the exact thing you love about an RPG and are expressly looking for and could suddenly find a game series of seven considerably long JRPGs to sink a lot of time into and gain a lot of enjoyment out of I I really think that the dot hack series is very interesting because it was kind of an experiment. Um, you know, there's four games in the original kind of series, but they aren't sequels per se. It's more like they are sections of the same game, but it doesn't feel like it's a cash grab. It, it doesn't feel like they chopped up the game. It feels like four movies in a series, right? You don't expect the next movie in a series to just be better in every way to have better CGI. You expect it to be on the same level as the previous iteration, but progress the story. And that's really what the dot hack series was, 
was this series of games that that didn't change up the formula but progressed the story uh and i cannot think of any other game series that had success doing that or did it at all even the tony hawk uh pro skater series had minor tweaks and additions to the main core mechanics between every game and they are probably the closest to having just kind of the same mechanics with different levels so you know really it's amazing that the games had the success that they did and still have the cult following that they have uh but from my perspective the story and and just the feelings that you can have going through the story is unlike anything else uh you really feel like these are people that you're interacting with as opposed to characters and that's just that's just cool yeah all right we have a couple more that we had on our list let's scoot through these a little a little quickly um fear three is the third in the fear series obviously um which is a horror first person shooter game um that both Jordan and I have played all the games in it and thoroughly enjoyed them. And even up to Fear 3, which a lot of people did not like. Detest. Like, loathe. Yeah, they really... People have very strong opinions about how poorly they think Fear 3 uh, was created. Now, I went into the Fear series and I loved Fear 1 and Fear 2. And I admit, I don't think Fear 3 was quite on the same level. Um... Because I didn't like a couple of the mechanics very much, whereas I felt like Fear 1 and Fear 2 were, were really great. But the the extent to which people pan Fear 3 compared to the first two, I look at it and I'm like, guys, it's not that different. <laughs> like, it looks better. It plays very similarly. It has a lot of the same mechanics. There's only a couple things that changed, and I understand why people didn't like those things. But I look at the game, and it's a fun time. There are some kind of spooky moments it's not it's not really that scary let's be honest here let's be honest none of the series is all that scary yeah no alma was the scariest in fear 2 in my opinion but anyway i digress um i just think it's 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 a little silly and i think fear 3 is another one of those bandwagony it's like oh it it looks different and plays a little different from the first two which i really like therefore it's bad you know and and i think that that is one of the main things that can come from reviews is that uh, I wish I could say I think reviewers don't look at other people's reviews before they review a game. That's obviously not true, Th- That's though. clearly not true, and it creates a bandwagon effect a lot of the time that uh, can really unfairly treat a game. If, if everyone's referring to the same reviews that are each saying the same bad things. Well, what's really interesting for me is I actually played Fear 3 first. Um... I had not played any of the other games in the series. I saw the third one and I'm like, that looks kind of cool. Had an absolute blast playing it. The multiplayer games in that, while most of them are fairly generic, they have one called Effing Run. It's That's literally what it's called. Uh, it's censored in the game because they want to be edgy like that. Uh, and that mode, I can't believe that it has never been implemented anywhere else because it is super fun. The idea of having to make your way forward through waves of enemies uh with some co-op partners is just super fun uh and and that game was awesome then i played the first and second one and i'm like oh man these games are also 
awesome. They're different. They've got different things going for them. They are better in certain ways, but they're also worse in certain ways. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with disliking Fear 3. But so many people dislike it and project their dislike for it by saying it's terrible that there's too many people who can't, who won't play the game. And it's like, this is a really good game. You should definitely play it. But again, let's flip the script a little bit and talk about another game that generally was and is reviewed incredibly well that at least I personally uh, have some major issues with. Yeah, Bioshock Infinite, um, that is a game that was very widely regarded. Uh, a lot of people thought and still think that it's the best Bioshock in terms of gameplay, story, whatever, what have you. Um, and when you really sit down and look at it, uh, it took a lot of steps backward from the second game and also the first game. In terms of lots of things, my main gripe with the game is just that the story makes literally zero sense and a lot of the issues that the main characters deal with. At a certain point, there's no reason for them to keep doing things because they're in a different dimension. They're they're in multiple parallel dimensions away from their original dimension. Yeah, and it's like, okay, your goal, your goal no longer matters, but... That's no not longer the point. exists. No longer exists. But that's not the point of this Never podcast. Never did exist in the existence that you're currently inhabiting. <laughs> yeah, this isn't about the story of Bioshock Infinite, but it is about um, those things, if they were mentioned in reviews, were passing mentions for some reason. As if Bioshock, as if the story of Bioshock isn't a huge part of the game. As if it's it's worth just a passing mention and isn't the focus of the game. Um so yeah, I think I think that's a major problem and was not pointed out very much. And when I played through the game after reflecting on it, I'm like, how did this never come up? How did this never come up in any of the reviews I looked at? This is a glaring issue with the game. Well, what I think is interesting is that as much as I personally loathe the story for so many reasons, I also think it, ma- it took major steps back in the gameplay um, and and it did not consider the changes it made in the gameplay uh the first two bioshock games have these weapon uh upgrade centers uh and they're super cool every time you get them they modify the weapon they give it a different look uh and then they make it more powerful and it's it's super satisfying to get these upgrades uh and it worked out really well because you always had a quote-unquote weapon wheel you could always select any weapon that you had had ever picked up uh, and so any given combat encounter, you could approach it a dozen different ways because between the plasmids and the weapons you had, you just had a wide variety of options to choose from. In Bioshock Infinite, they got rid of that weapon wheel. Now you can only have two weapons, but they kept the weapon upgrade areas, which doesn't make any sense. First of all, it doesn't make sense because it'll upgrade an entire weapon type So the next time you pick up a pistol or whatever, it's going to be upgraded. And it's like, why? How did that happen? (laughs) How, how, like, I know Elizabeth has these, you know, dimension altering powers, but she's not the one upgrading it. So how is it being upgraded across the board? It doesn't make sense because you might upgrade something and then never get that weapon again, because there's no guarantee that you're ever going to be able to use weapons. Um, the fact that they brought plasmids back as uh, 
uh, what are they called? Vigors? Yeah, Vigors. Uh-huh. Uh, doesn't make any sense. And I don't have a problem with him having those abilities. But the fact that they were essentially just exactly the same as in Bioshock. You know, it's essentially Bioshock, but it's in the sky now. It it felt Cheap. It, jarring. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a specific word that I, I can't think of right now. But it just, it it made the game feel less authentic. Uh, and as much as I enjoyed the shield in terms of um, just not dying as much, it also made it feel more like a mainline shooter where you you go out, shoot people, and then if you're about to die, you go into cover and you just don't do anything for a couple of seconds. And then you can go back out and fight. Uh, whereas in the original Bioshock, you just had to keep being on the move. There, there was nothing you could do to restore your health aside from um, stim packs that you had, or going to health stations. Uh, and there was some strategy involved with it. Anyway, I don't want to get too far into it, but everything about that game uh, felt like a step back. And after playing it a couple of times, I, I really truly feel like it is the worst in the series. And it makes me incredibly sad because I felt like it had a lot that it could do that it just didn't. That being said, I am excited to see where the next Bioshock goes if we ever get news about it. Anyway. That's right. If you didn't know, they are officially making a new Bioshock game. I don't remember who's in charge of it. It's not Ken Levine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there, it, it could be absolutely fantastic. And regardless of if it's good or bad... I'm always happy to hear that a a high-valued franchise uh, is getting another iteration. Another one, really quick, that was uh, very well-beloved by a lot of reviewers and a lot of people was Outlast and Outlast 2. We played Outlast 2. I've played Outlast 1. Those games suck. Like, literally, they just suck. They're not scary. And caveat here, we played Outlast 2 without audio because we didn't have the ability, or at least in know how to uh no 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 we didn't have the ability to listen to the audio at the time but that shouldn't be the only thing (laughs) that you're relying on just saying um it wasn't scary it wasn't that difficult you know they they hyped up this idea of like you'll have to have batteries and if you ever run out of batteries you're in the dark but like we never ran out of batteries and we did not play that game super well no it's not like we were great at it we weren't experts we couldn't hear what was going on and we never ran out of batteries um, the, like, the whole game is just running around, and I realize that's a lot of survival horror games nowadays, and I think that is truly a shame. <laughs> I think that is truly a shame in the in the horror genre to have just all of these games that are just running around aimlessly, uh, not aimlessly, obviously, but just kind of running around, and, you know, if you see something, you, the only tension is... I need to run away from that. There's no, oh, how do I defeat it? What is there a puzzle of defeating this? Do I need to shoot in a certain place? No, it's just run away. Um, and people love these games, and they're they're highly reviewed, and I just don't get it. And the stories, well, at least for the second one, is frankly just kind of disgusting and not really scary. It's not it's not scary in like a existential dread scary it's scary and like a ew why are you showing me this i don't like what 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 is going on have you ever wanted to see the miracle of birth 
from a person's perspective where the woman is dying while giving birth. No! Because that doesn't sound scary. That sounds disgusting. No and one! That's what they show in Outlast 2. And it's like, first of all, in the uh, console version, you don't see much of anything. So it's not even disgusting. It's just kind of really sad. And in the PC port, which has that uncensored, it's disgusting and sad. But not scary. It's like this isn't this isn't scary. There's not like a demon crawling its way out of a corpse. Okay, that would be freaky. It's just someone giving birth in horrific conditions. Like the miracle of birth isn't scary unless you're a woman and you have an impending birth coming coming up. That horrifying. You know, that could be horrifying. But as a guy, uh, which. A lot of people playing video games are in this kind of genre. Not everyone. There's a good number of women that play games, and that's great. Um, but I, I don't think that the, that's the audience they were trying to get is pregnant women. No. Well, and and getting back to the point of this podcast, I looked at a lot of reviews from these games and saw how well-reviewed they were, and I'm a big horror guy. I really like horror. And I'm like, oh, these must be good horror. They're They're not. They're just simply not. They do not achieve the thing that horror games should be going for. In your opinion. In my opinion. In my opinion. And that's a shame. And I think that far too many reviewers... Um, there, there wasn't a lot of dissension among reviewers. And, and I really feel like there, there, sh- there should have been something there. And, and my opinion was greatly colored. And like Jordan pointed out earlier... I was let down a lot more than I would have been if I had just simply played the game without uh, without prior knowledge of it. Yeah. Uh, moving on, let's talk about a different horror franchise. Resident Evil 6. Uh, is Resident Evil 6 scary? Nah. No. Does it make any sense? No. Not, not even a little. Resident Evil 6? No. No. Is it incredibly fun to play? Oh, you bet it is. Mm-hmm. And while the AI companions are significantly better than they were in five, Sheva. sometimes it's even uh, sometimes they're even better than you are. Uh, playing with a friend makes the experience so much better. I mean, think about it. You can sucker punch zombies. You can flip on the on your back on the floor and shoot out dozens of enemies. You can go and punch. Uh, a giant monster in the face. There's just so many fun things to do in this game. It's ridiculous. It's over the top. It is everything that the Resident Evil movies are, and that's terrible. <laughs> but there's so much fun. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, Resident Evil 5 started kind of this trend, and Resident Evil 6 is really the peak of this trend of... It's an action game. Like, really, it's a zombie action game. But that doesn't make it bad. That doesn't make it terrible. It's it's quite a fun game. Uh, yeah, maybe it doesn't fit in with Resident Evil as you know and love it, which is fine. That's that's a good critique to give, but to pan the whole game because of that doesn't make any sense and is not fair to the merits of the game. Um, and again, is another victim of the whole bandwagon thing of like, oh, it's not Resident Evil, therefore it's sucky. Um, now, admittedly, we've we've spent the majority of this podcast talking about games that we disagree with the general uh view on that game um and that's really easy to do it's really easy to look at things and then look at reviews for that thing and be like what what that's what that's ridiculous that's ridiculous you're you're smoking crack you're doing the meth 
you're doing it's you're you're not thinking straight sitting on your head what's significantly more difficult is taking a look at something you love and admitting yes okay i can understand why someone might hate this or at least you know dislike it hate it not want to play it again play a little bit and never want to play it again i can i can understand that that's very hard to do so let, let's do it <laughs> let's do that with some games that we love that um and and look at why some people might not agree with that. Yeah. First up, let's talk about Bloodborne. Bloodborne, one of my favorite games, maybe my all-time favorite game. But if you don't like Massacre-style games, if you don't like struggling through a game experience, you are not going to enjoy this game. If you can't stand the sight of blood or gore, you're not going to like this game. Uh, if you just aren't a horror fan, you're probably not going to like this game. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. I personally think that Bloodborne is amazing, fantastic, one of the best games ever made, one of my favorite games. I would love for everyone to play this. But at the end of the day, not everyone is going to, and there's a lot of people that are going to play it and not enjoy it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Kingdom Hearts. Don't enjoy Disney characters. Can't stand convoluted storytelling hate happy-go-lucky stories and characters that are constantly talking about the power of friendship and the and the power of their hearts slash souls let your heart be your guiding light yeah you're not you, you like seriously you're not gonna enjoy the kingdom hearts franchise and lots of people don't okay but review wise it's done quite well and both of us enjoy pretty much all the games i enjoy all the games <laughs> um and but there's there's lots of things that that obviously could be a huge turnoff to to lots of types of people, even though we think the gameplay and the story is actually quite good, quite enjoyable and is, um, you know, worth worth playing. Now let's talk about a game that that everyone knows about, that everyone knows is the best Mario games. But if you don't like playing games by yourself. If you don't like platformers, then you're not going to like Mario games. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mario games might be some of the pinnacle of platforming. But if you don't enjoy platforming, you're not going to like the games. And no matter how much people say, these games are amazing, should ever convince you to play them. Because they're platformers. Or they're games about some fat Italian plumber killing people by crushing them under his massive body weight. Right? These games are ridiculous. Yeah. And even you, uh... if you like platformers, you might think that like whoever was smoking and created this game needs to be shot. This is so dumb. You don't have to like games just because they're super popular and almost everyone agrees that they're great. That's the beauty of being an individual. Yeah. And if you're, you're not a fan of your co-op partner being able to accidentally pick you up and throw you off a cliff at a drop of a freaking hat. You're going to hate this game, to be honest. On accident, on purpose, like on it happened both you know, whatever. times. I literally chucked you that last time at yeah, that yeah, start. Yeah, like, yeah, it worked, yeah. but uh, I, I was going for the baseball. Also, if anybody ever tells you Mario has a great story, run away. They're lying to you. So if the, you know, even the RPGs don't exactly have oh, great no. stories. They're no. ridiculous, and maybe you think they're funny. Okay, uh, any Battle Royale game. Yeah, if you don't enjoy playing games with 
a lot of other people dying real fast, um, restarting over and over and over, playing in the same exact arena every time and having to contend with up to a hundred people stay away. Like you're not going to, you're not going to like it there. Um, well, actually let's not, there is surprisingly quite a bit of story in, in battle Royale games nowadays, certain battle Royale, games. certain of course. Um, but there's lots of things, you know, it doesn't matter how universally hailed these games are and the just buckets of money that they bring in. Um, there are certain things that if you don't like about them, if you don't like about games, you're really not going to enjoy about them. So do any of these examples prove that professional game reviewers don't know what they're talking about? Are we saying that you can't rely on them for anything? They're completely 100% subjective and pretty much always wrong and will not reflect any of your thoughts on the game if you just play it? No, no, of course not. They don't, we're not saying that, we're not saying that reviews are worthless, nor are we saying that all reviewers are worthless. We're bad at their job. Exactly. But what we are saying is that if you are enjoy video games, take an active role in discovering what you need to about a game to know whether you're going to like or dislike it. And don't just take reviews for face value. Because again, every review, just like every, well, every review is going to have a slant. Every reviewer is going to have specific things that they are looking for, that they have slight biases about, and things that they're going to overlook because they don't think it's a big deal. That none of those things might mesh with your ideas. Um, I think one of the best things to do personally is find a reviewer that has reviewed a couple of games that you already know you love and why you love them or hate and know why you don't like them and read their reviews on those games. And if they agree with you, maybe you've found somebody that you have a little bit more of a rapport with, that you understand where they're coming from and you can you can read their reviews and you know you'll find what you're looking for. But even at that point, don't take it at face value. Look at multiple different sources. Look at the game for the love. Look at the game. Look at gameplay. Look at a story synopsis. Not a synopsis. A a overview. Uh, yeah. Look at all these different types of reviews. Look at first party information about the game. And then make and then if you're going to make a judgment about the game, give it a try. <laughs> if your judgment is I don't want to play that game, you don't have to play it. That's fine. But like we were talking with The Last of Us Part 2, making a decision that, that, that a game is bad just based on what other people say about it, um, you might miss out on a lot of great experiences that way. I think at the end of the day, the main point that we want to get across is make your decisions your own. Don't be led blindly by other people's opinion, whether it be one person or a billion when it comes to enjoying something, no one can really ever tell you what you will or will not enjoy. All anyone can ever do is put their opinion out there and let it be seen or heard. It's up to us, up to you, how you let their opinion influence your decision. When you make a decision, make sure that it is your decision. 
If you fail to make each decision your own, you could miss out on that one game that changes your life. I don't mean this as hyperbole either. Video games have just as much of an ability to impact your life as a movie, book, song, or TV show. And all of those have scientific effects on mood and your outlook on the world. With the media we consume being so influential in our lives and in our psyche, we're doing ourselves, and possibly others, a disservice by not making each of our media decisions our own. And of course, that doesn't mean that you have to ignore everyone else's opinions. That doesn't mean that you have to always find everything out on your own. It just means that you need to make sure that when you have made a decision on whether to play a game or on how good that game is, that you're recognizing where that idea comes from. Is it coming from you? Or is it coming from that guy on YouTube that you watched two weeks ago before deciding to play the game? It doesn't matter if your taste in games and media in general is completely dichotomous to everyone else in the world. As long as you are getting out of those games what you need to, that's what they're there for. Uh, and I really hope that you can take this idea of making decisions your own into more than just the media you consume. Because this is a universal principle. Every decision we make is an amalgamation of who we are and the influences in our lives. Every little thing that you hear from other people based on your opinion of that person is going to color what you think. You see someone that you absolutely loathe and they happen to say that they enjoy something, well, that might make it so you don't like that thing just because you can't stand having anything in common with that person or vice versa. Someone that you absolutely love has an interest in something that you just don't like, but you decide to pursue it anyway because you want to be closer with them and it just kind of drains you. These are things that we need to be aware of. These are things that we need to recognize are changing who we are and what we do. And we need to take back the reins and make sure, especially in the important things in our lives, that we are in control of who we are and what we're doing. And I really think that we can all do that. I really think that uh, it's not that hard. It just takes a little bit of thought and, and a little bit of concerted effort to be um, self-aware enough to think, where is this idea coming from? Where is this desire coming from? and deciding if it's worth um, the value that you're putting into it or not. And with all that said, this has been one giant, big, enormous opinion from two guys making a podcast. So if you don't agree with us, that's okay. Um, we'd like to know what you think. And if you do agree with us, we want to get your perspective on some things. You know, obviously there are points in every week's podcast where we don't necessarily articulate our points in the exact way we'd like. That's that's a uh, unfortunately what happens when you're recording for an hour. <laughs> it just it's inevitable. I mean, it's inevitable when you make any kind of comment. Indeed. You come up with something in your brain and you're like, "Okay, mouth, let's get this done." <laughs> and then your mouth is like, mm, "Yeah, I don't think so." <laughs> uh, nope. I I'd rather not. I'm taking the day off. So with that being said, perhaps you can articulate some thoughts that um 
sound better coming from you. And we'd love to hear them and read them and be able to engage with you all in discussion. Uh, some of the best ways to do that, to reach us, are through our Discord, which you can find right in the description of this podcast. And you can speak with us live, real time, baby, real time, on Twitch. Uh, we stream every Wednesday and Friday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time and every Saturday at 10 in the morning Mountain Time. And if those aren't your thing, if you don't want to really have live discussions through Discord or Twitch, feel free to hit us up through our social medias, Twitter, Instagram, or our email, reflectionsongaming at gmail.com. Again, links to all of those things are found in the show notes for this podcast, wherever you're listening to it. And to anyone who listens to this, we really do appreciate you. We recognize that we're just two guys uh, living in a basement, talking about something that we enjoy. And there's really not that many people to listen to us, but we really appreciate anyone who who is supporting us, anyone who is enjoying this. Uh, it, it just feels nice to know that your voice is heard. Uh, and I feel like that's something that that everyone can enjoy. That's right. We can see our analytics. It says there are seven of you. I'm watching you. I don't know who you are. I'm not watching you. That's creepy. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to this podcast. And we will catch you on the next one next week. Look forward to it. Absolutely. And thanks again for listening. And uh, yeah, we hope you catch the next one. Bye.